Hello and welcome to another episode of Executive Learning Rewired, the podcast that talks about some of the biggest challenges faced by HR and learning and development professionals. I'm your host, Tiago Kivi, and today our topic is trust. To explore this topic, I have here with me at the FT Studios here in London a very special guest, Dr. John Blakey. Dr. Blakey, John, welcome and uh, thanks for being here. Good afternoon, uh, Tiago. F- fantastic to be here. I'm really looking forward to our chat this afternoon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, John, you are an executive consultant, a mentor, the author of a book that you have here, and I'm really looking forward to read. Uh, and the book, I believe, is super well received as well, from 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 my understanding. And you're also the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, right? But before we get into the topic of trust deeply, before we start the conversation, I just want you to understand a little bit more about how you got there. You know, how, where did you grow up? What is your background? You know, how, how did you get into work and, and how did you get where you are right now? Sure. Um, well, for those of you that know the UK, I'm, I'm a Yorkshire lad. I was brought up in, in the north of the country in Yorkshire. I'm, I'm the one that got away. Um, at the age of 14, I came south. And uh, I've lived in Birmingham ever since then with my uh, my wife and my two sons. Um, in terms of my career, how did I get to where I am now? I've had a very varied career. I started in marketing in corporates like uh, British Gas and, and Cadbury Sweeps, but I then got an opportunity to move into IT project management. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the listeners will be aware of a piece of software called SAP. And I, I got involved with SAP software in the, in the 90s. That was a fantastic, exciting time to be in IT. Um, but the more I implemented IT systems, the more I became aware that people were the critical path for implementing successful change, mm-hmm. You know, whether that's uh, culture or technology or strategy, people are on the critical path. And so I started to focus more on people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I trained as an executive coach mm. um, at a time when there weren't many executive coaches in the UK. So this mm. is sort of 20 years ago. And I've been coaching executives since that time, as well as writing and speaking and doing the research that led to the Trusted Executive book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do you usually work with your clients? What what, what kind of methodologies do you apply and uh, what kind of cal- challenges do they usually present to you? Yeah, well, I've had the privilege of working with over 130 CEOs across 22 different countries as a coach. And so typically I am working one-to-one with those people. I'm working mm-hmm. with them for an hour and a half, two hours at a time. And because of the nature of coaching, the challenges that I'm helping them with varies from the very immediate and tactical, which might be improving time management skills, improving presentation skills, team leadership challenges, Mm. to the very strategic uh, challenges that executives face around Mm. how to position their brands, how to reinvent their leadership for the new world of work. Mm. Um, So it's a a hugely varied uh, agenda, which is what makes it so Mm. exciting and rewarding to work with those uh, individuals. Mm -hmm. And... That's the thing you mentioned. This new world of work has the challenges. Have the challenges that your clients present to you have they changed in the last couple of years? Yeah, very, very definitely. In the in the last eighteen months, what we've found, what I've noticed uh, very directly with my clients, is that leaders who normally 
would consider themselves to be very motivated, very resilient. I think all leaders in this time have woken up on a Monday morning and, and felt extremely flat and extremely, um, uh, you know, hard work emotionally to keep that that motivation, that resilience over this period of time we've had. So I've noticed that's been a, a very important topic to work with leaders on. And, and the other aspect, which is more the big picture, and I, I noticed this in the FT reception areas we came in this afternoon, that the new world of work, there are now new expectations from staff, from customers, from the public at large. There are new expectations on leadership. And so a lot of my work now is helping leaders understand what has changed and how do they adapt to that. And, and certainly the trust word, uh, as, we'll, as we'll find out, is, is, is very key to some of those shifts that are happening in that world of work at the moment. You mentioned, just mentioned trust, right? Which is precisely the topic of this conversation today. Why is trust so important in our relations, in, in, in the leadership context? Why, why is it such a key thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got something I preferred, prepared earlier, Tiago, here, because mm. I, I just just so the listeners don't think that I've, I've got this all in my head, I'm actually going <laughs> to read a little quote here from, uh, obviously, a great leadership guru called Stephen Covey. Oh, my favorite. Yep. He <laughs> is my favorite. Seven Habits for Highly Effective yes. People. Um, fantastic uh, book and a great inspiration. And his quote about trust, I think, really sums up why trust is critical to human relationships. He says, trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. And I think that just gives us a feel, doesn't it, of trust for me, trust is, is as an invisible asset. It's a little bit like the air conditioning in this room that we're sat in at the moment, that we all take it for granted when it works, but as soon as it's not there, we'll notice it very quickly. And I think trust is, is very similar, very easy to take it for granted. But in the times we live, uh, it's a very risky uh, approach to take trust for granted because of its uh, essential nature to, to, our, to our human relationships. Yeah. And um, I mean, moving beyond the human relationships as well, um, from a business perspective, right? Trust is 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 key. You, you know, you, you need to trust your colleagues, your employees, your 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 managers, your boss, your shareholders, your yep. your investors. Yeah. Um, is there any current? Because I was reading, you know, uh, your website. You mentioned um, there's certainly an impact between trust and profitability. But I just wanted to go a little bit deeper in that, understand what the correlation really is. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. could you go a little, sure. a little bit deeper? On sure, yeah. I mean, I, I spent six years researching trust at Aston Business School um, as part of the preparation for writing the book. And in the academic world, you, you have to be able to prove things with, yes. with data and statistics. So um, one, of, one of the most compelling um, pieces of research that, that I came across around the impact of trust on on profit um, is a piece of work done in Canada, um, which surveyed more than 6,500 employees in the Holiday Inn hotel chain. And uh, that piece of research found that uh, a one-eighth improvement in the trustworthiness of the leaders led to a 2.5% increase in profitability. And, and the researchers who conducted that research concluded that no other single aspect of manager behavior that we measured had as large an impact on profits as trust. 
So that's that's a pretty compelling um, piece of research. And in my own research, I surveyed uh, over 500 board leaders in the UK. I asked them how important trust was for their business. Um, and we had 91% consider it critical to customer loyalty, 88% consider it critical to achieving sustainable bottom line performance, uh, and, I, and 89% consider trust critical to attracting and retaining top talent. So wherever you look in the research with trust, you will find a study that links trust to a multitude of positive business outcomes. It, it really is a magic wand that if trust, if, if leaders can master this, they can have multiple positive impacts on, on different stakeholder groups. And just out of curiosity, what happens when there is no trust? Well, at least from your experience. Yeah, from my experience, this is going to be more of an analogy than a, a statistic. But for me, again, if we think about trust as being uh, the oil that allows us to work together efficiently and effectively, and you, and you think of oil in a, in a, in a car, you know, if, if, the, if there's no oil in the car, then eventually something's going to lock up. You're going to hear something crunch. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and, and it won't be a good sign. And I think if, if trust slips through people's hands in a, in a team or in a culture, eventually you're going to find that the, that the gears are going to lock uh, and you'll get um, little uh, things will become big things mm -hmm. because trust is the way that eases us through all the ups and downs of, of, of business life. And if, yeah. that, if that oil is, is missing, we will find things get very, very tough very quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what really builds trust? Because I know you've done a lot of research on that, and uh, that's precisely the focus of your book, right? You know, you create nine habits of to help you build yes. a more trusting relationship, I believe, yep. right? So yep. what, what are the elements of uh, building trust? Yeah, I think if you... Ask people, you know, how do you build trust? And people might say, oh, you know, it's important to keep your promises or it's important to be honest. Uh, it's interesting when you look at it academically, you look at the research, over 30 years of research, there are three key ingredients that have been identified that together will create trust. Um, and I think two of those to our, our listeners are probably very um, recognizable. But there's a third ingredient that I think is is, is the new kid on the block for, for me. So. Uh, the three ingredients are ability, integrity, and benevolence. So ability, for, for us to be trusted and for our brands to be trusted, uh, we need to deliver on time to budget to specification. We need to be competent. The second ingredient is integrity. You know, we need to know what our values are. We need to have our ethics. We need to walk the talk. And then this third pillar, which for me is the most in intriguing, this word benevolence. Um, benevolence, it's an interesting word. What does, it, what does it mean? It comes from the Latin benevolent, which means wishing well. Benevolence is the opposite of malevolence. Uh, so wishing well, common human care, compassion, kindness, that is that third ingredient of trust. And, and for me, that is the most intriguing uh, ingredient because in my career over 30 years, I have never been on the senior leadership course for benevolence. You know, I've been in a lot of training for ability and I've been in some training for integrity, but I don't think I've ever been trained uh, in benevolence. And I think that's an interesting challenge for our listeners today is are we paying equal uh, respect to these three ingredients, ability, integrity, 
and benevolence. Very, very interesting because um reminds me of something that I actually saw either last night or this morning um, on LinkedIn. Someone posted a video of uh, Simon Sinek uh, where he is, he's talking, he's giving the example of the, um, of the Navy SEALs in the US. Yes. Uh, yes. On how they choose the right person to lead that yeah. team, right? A very high performance team. Yep. And they have two criteria. Number one, performance. And yep. the other one is trust. Yeah. Right. So, but trust actually can uh, be, become more important than the performance, you know, because sometimes you have someone performing super well, but people really don't don't trust, you don't have a very good relationship with that person, Yeah. right? And um, perhaps you have someone who is not the most amazing performer, but everyone trusts that guy or that woman, you know, everyone trusts that person personally, professionally, you know, socially, you know, and... Yeah. Um, the question that he that he raises, Simon Sinek, is um, we are trained to perform well, right? You know, programs, training programs, education, university, business schools, it's all about performance. Yeah. But we don't have never, you know, we don't really have that conversation around around trust, right? How do you develop that trust? And I think that's why I think your, your book is super interesting because it's uh, it touches on that point, right? Yeah, yeah, I know the Simon Sinek video you're referring to, and it's it's fantastic uh, video. And uh, yeah, he does highlight that point um, that we haven't traditionally trained uh, or measured trust. In a way, I think in times past, we we assumed that uh, society was doing that for us. We assumed that society was creating trustworthy people. But I think some of the wider shifts that we've had going on in our in our societies uh, in, in recent times has meant that we. We can't take for granted that 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 has been put into people necessarily, uh, and businesses uh, I think now are are seeing that, that they need to establish their own standards uh, yes. around this these set of behaviours. Um, they can't just assume that it's coming ready made in their in their teams. Um, so that's one of the motivations for my research and writing. I used to work with leaders who would say to me, John, you know, I, I really get this trust thing. I think it's important. How do I do it? And I didn't really have a good answer to that question other than my own experience, uh, you know, which I can offer and we can all share our, our experience. But there wasn't really an academically verified model that I could share with leaders to answer that question. And that was very much my motivation for the research was, was to try and get at something that had um, that rigor of an academic uh, piece of work, but was sufficiently practical to offer to busy leaders and say, this is how you do trust. So just going a little bit deeper into the topic of your of your book, you talk about nine habits, right? They are needed to help you become a more trusted person. Can we go through those habits and maybe if you could highlight two or three that you think are really essential? Yeah, yeah, sure. So nine habits, quite a lot to remember nine yes. things. <laughs> um, I'm going to try and break it down to three habits under each of those pillars. So we've got three pillars, ability, integrity, benevolence, and, and I'll talk about three habits under each pillar. So under the pillar of ability, we have the habits of um, deliver, coach, be consistent. So these are habits to do with ensuring that we um, deliver on time to budget, that we help others deliver through coaching, and that we do that on a consistent 
basis, day in, day out, week in, week out. That, that, if we do those three habits, then that pillar of ability, we're going to be um, you know, ticking that box. If we move then to the pillar of integrity, the three habits of integrity are be honest, be open, be humble. And I think, again, be honest, we would probably think of quite quickly. Uh, be open, I'll, I'll come back to, because I think it's one of the most important. Uh, and be humble. Being humble is the opposite of being arrogant. And so if you want to be trusted, then being humble, meeting people on a level, eye to eye, is, is very important um, habit. That leaves us with the three habits of benevolence. And the three habits of benevolence are evangelize, be brave, be kind. So I think be kind, we can immediately recognize that, and most people will understand what we mean by that. Be brave. In the world of trust, we're talking about moral bravery. The idea that at some point the leader self-sacrifices on behalf of a bigger goal. And that uh, is a very inspiring behavior in terms of trust building. And then we have this word evangelize, which many listeners might have heard that word more in a religious context. What does it mean? Evangelize means spread the good news. It's about a leader having an inspiring vision, uh, having the passion to communicate that vision and having the resilience to bounce back from disappointments. That's what a great evangelist does. Um, so those are the nine habits. If I were to pull out um, two habits that I think are particularly important, I would put, I would focus on be, be open and, and the evangelize habit. Because in the research, we actually did some analysis to look at which were the most important habits. And I would have probably guessed that being honest was the number one habit. And sure enough, it, it came out number one. And I would have probably guessed that being open was number two. And as it, as it happened, the, the second most important habit in the model is evangelize. And I think what we noticed in the research is that the more senior you are in an organization, the more important that habit becomes. It's a leadership habit. It's very much that the leader does need to have that vision, does need to have that passion in order to inspire people to follow them, which needs trust. So that evangelize habit uh, surprised me at how important it was. And then the third most important habit is this habit being open. Many other surveys will highlight how important being open is. And sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between being honest and being open? Well, being open is about showing more of yourself. It's very closely linked to this word vulnerability, uh, that uh, if you show a bit more of your full self as a leader, and if you talk about your mistakes, your learnings, things you've got wrong, things you find difficult, if you show some of that vulnerability, it's a very inspiring habit in terms of creating a high trust culture. Because if you do it, and if you go first with that, you're creating a safe space in which other people can also share their full selves. And in that sort of a team, you're going to, over time, build that commitment uh, and that sort of shared um, uh, trust that will deliver outstanding objectives. So so those are the three habits that I particularly um, highlight. Um, uh, be open, uh, evangelize, and, and be honest is the, is, is the number one. That makes me think a lot. Um... And uh, one of the, the the words that um, I found interesting is uh, consistency, mm. which, from my perspective, I, I think that it's super important. Um, 
to yeah to build trust you know um but at the moment yeah when we talk about consistency we also are facing a world of um change yeah right you know and we have to be flexible and sometimes we we do have to be flexible on the things that we allow to 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 happen mm. in the workplace especially um if you are too strict, perhaps you're not able to experiment, you're not able mm. to try new things. Uh, and um, you might even make a lot of mistakes if you're more flexible, right? Yep. And then your consistency perhaps go down. Yeah. So yep. just uh, how do you balance that Yeah. kind of, uh, you know, this this, this challenge with uh, consistency and flexibility? You know, do, have you ever thought about that before? I think this is a great question, and, mm. and and to be honest, I haven't been asked it before, mm. and uh, I think it's a great question, and and I think the way of thinking about consistency in this model as a trust building model, we're looking at consistency of values and character. Yes, consistency of values and character, because you're right that um, at the level of um, tasks, um, we are looking for flexibility. We're looking for a creativity. And that's often very necessary to to deliver and to to do our best work, but the consistency we're talking about here is is about consistency of character and values. So, for example, let's imagine that you're uh, a very flexible person, you know, by nature, by character, and and I work for you. And on a Monday and a Tuesday of that week, you come into work, and I notice that you're very flexible. And then on the Wednesday, you come in, and all of a sudden, for some reason you get very stubborn about something. Yes. <laughs> it, it's it's that sort of unpredictability of, of 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 mood or character that can undermine trust. Because what happens is that the people around you then don't know where they stand because they don't, don't know, know which what to expect from that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know which version of your character they're going to get. Um so so the, I, I often talk about this as people leaders need to be very careful with the impact of stress. Because stress can be the trigger that that changes your typical reaction, and so part of what helps us with this skill of consistency is to be very aware of our stress levels and to know to be sufficiently self-aware that that we catch ourselves when we realise those stress levels might be triggering behaviours that that generate an unpredictability around us. Does that help? Does that help answer that? Absolutely. Question? Yeah. 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 Um... I think, yeah, consistency, of course, is it's an aspect that you mentioned here on the um, on the ability. That's why, yeah. to my mind, it came to consistency of delivery. Yes. But when you approach that from a consistency of values, that's slightly different and equally important. Yeah. Uh, and of course, yeah, no one wants to be having to to, to kind of tread on on eggshells right around the person. So mm. I think, yeah, absolutely, I, I can see that being a key part of trust. You know, I used to work. For people who, yeah, in, in the past, they would never be able to, you'd never be able to 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 know what to expect from them, you know, and and that made everyone's life a lot a lot harder. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of the big differences between leading with power and leading with trust. That you know, I think we're in an age where part of this new world of work is that power used to be the currency of our leadership, but trust needs to become. The currency of our leadership. So, in that behavior you talked about there, that unexpected behavior of the leader, where, where power is the currency of leadership and, and fear is the glue of life, then that sort of works because it keeps people on their toes. But nothing destroys trust as quickly as unpredictability of behavior. So, we have this um, 
we have this switch going on between the habits of power and the habits of trust. And I could go through those nine habits that I shared with you, and I could, for each habit, I could talk about the equivalent habit of power. Um, and for, so let's take, for example, coaching as, as, as one of the habits. In the world of power, you told people what to do because you were the one with the answers. So telling was the habit. But in a world of trust, uh, people don't want to be told what to do anymore. People want to be empowered. They want to be listened to. And these are the skills of a great coach. So, so we have this shift going on, which I think has been accelerated by the pandemic, where expectations of leadership are shifting and leaders are trying to work out, you know, how do they uh, rewire? I think, you know, you, you, we talked this this podcast, how do they rewire themselves yeah. to, to be equally effective in the world of trust as they were in the world of power? Building trust is, is a challenge in any situation right uh, but we also um, we're facing a moment in, in in our history where you know there's this great resignation happening in the background there's of course covid a lot of organizations have had to restructure themselves people have changed positions new appointments made a lot of the a lot of new hires the company have made the companies have made um are you know perhaps never even met their colleagues yet so how do you build trust quickly especially if you're coming to a new role especially into a more senior role and within the context that we are today you know in a situation where you might not even have the opportunity to meet that person that you have to to have a trusting relationship with mm. how do you do that yeah i think talking to, to your last point there first about um the new world of work and, and how a lot of work has gone virtual yeah. and the trust building challenge is more difficult uh, virtually than face to face because we've all learned how to do it well face to face or we've had the opportunity of many years to practice trust building face to face but in the virtual world um, most of us are novices at yeah. building trust in the virtual world and i think that's where we have to think about uh, making trust explicit so what I mean by making it explicit is we have to make it explicit and intentional. We can't assume it's just going to happen by default. If you come into the office and you work with people in the office, it probably will happen by default because we've all learned how to do it in the face-to-face -face environment. But when we're on Teams or Zoom, we need to get explicit and intentional. And that's where models can help. So if you, if you want to make something a little bit more structured and, and, and help people break it down and, and, and manage it in, in manageable chunks, models can help you do that. So one of the ways we work with the nine habits of trust is to work with virtual teams um, and invite them to explore which habits are stronger, which habits are weaker. And it's much easier to have a conversation about nine habits than it is to go into in a room and say, I don't trust you. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah. it, it depersonalizes it, mm. the situation, and it, and it gives everybody the same challenge to say, look, we, we can all do this better. In a virtual world, we need to do it better. Mm -hmm. And here, and here's a, a way of talking about it mm. that allows us to recognize that it's a shared challenge rather than it's any one individual's problem. Mm. Mm. One question that just came to mind is um, what do you do? How can you start becoming more of a trusting person, trusting 
mm. people more because uh, you know one of the challenges that perhaps the more conservative or the more kind of uh, old fashioned I would say maybe maybe I sh- maybe I should reword this this question um yeah, yeah. Um, one one thing that comes to mind yeah. is about how to become a, a more trusting person right especially yeah. when you have your employees working in another part of the world uh, and you don't have a chance to monitor them yeah. you don't have a chance to keep an eye on what they're yeah. doing how do you actually start trusting more and let yourself trust yeah no it's it's a it's a great uh, point because trust is a dance you know there's yeah. there's your trustworthiness yeah. um but there's also your what we call um, propensity to trust. That mm-hmm. what is your willingness to take the risk of trusting people, and that will vary from one person to the next, mm-hmm. depending upon our character and our, our experience of life. Um, one of the ways that I think that leaders can um, uh, develop that greater ability to trust others, let's say particularly in a, a hybrid working environment, is to focus more on uh, outcomes than activities. So if, if you're very, very clear about the outcomes and objectives that you expect from a team or from an individual, in my experience, that allows you to um, step back from monitoring activities. Um, so you hold, you hold accountability on outcomes rather than monitoring activities. And then if you see that the outcomes are still delivered to at least the same quality, if not greater quality than before you will build your confidence in trusting that individual or that team and i think that's one of the tricks if you like of this um, virtual world is is that we have to again accelerate this shift away from from monitoring people as if they were in a factory to empowering people and measuring them on outcomes which, which is perfectly possible if we put our minds to it. You know, it's some jobs it's easier to measure outcomes than others, but if we really put our minds to it, I think we can always find tangible outcomes and use those as the um, milestones that help us to step back a little bit and trust a bit more. Just going back a little bit to the dynamics of trust, how actually it works. Um, when trust is broken. Can you rebuild it? Yeah, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a question I get asked a lot because we all break trust. I mean, you cannot be a human being or a leader and not have and not make mistakes that, that undermine trust. And the, the good news is that um, you can rebuild it. The bad news is it often takes time. Um, but if you put um, a focus on it, you can rebuild it. And one of the, again, ways that you can work with this model with the nine habits is that if you break trust on one habit, then sometimes the other habits can help you uh, rebuild trust. So let's say I fail to deliver. Let's say there's I miss a deadline and I, and I block my copybook on habit number one, deliver. If I then look at the habits of integrity and I think, ah, the habit of honesty and openness. So if I fail to deliver, but I go to my boss, for example, and say, look, you know, this has happened. Um, I've made a mistake here. This is a consequence of that. Is this? And you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I failed to deliver on that particular task. You are much more likely to um, rebuild the trust than if you try to hide that mistake, or, or if you try to pretend that it didn't happen, or, or even worse, if you're tempted into lying about it. 
So I think you can, one of the um, ways of working with this model is, is identify the habit that's, that's undermined trust and then ask the question, which of the other eight can help me now? And there will always be one or two that will be able to help you. And I think it, it might not be a magic wand that, that completely, you know, uh, recovers trust instantly, but over time, uh, then you will be able to rebuild. And, and uh, we, we know, don't we, I think we'll all have had the experience with as customers that the organizations get it wrong, let us down. But if they handle that uh, well, sometimes we can emerge with even more trust than we had at the beginning. If they're kind to us, if they apologize, if they go the extra mile to, um, to, to compensate us or to, uh, uh, to, to connect with us, then that can have a massive impact, you know? So, so yes, you can rebuild trust. Um, and I hope the model will, can help people think about that more creatively than, than might normally be the case. Yeah, that's that's a very good way of thinking about trust because normally we see, you know, if you just give the example of um, of failing to deliver, that normally, yeah, you 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 then trying to find excuses or trying to yeah. hide or or yeah. or you know, oh, I've done this because I've done, you know. So yeah, having that model with nine different elements that you can break down into pieces and, and that means that you are able to control a little bit more of, of your actions, you know. So it's very, very interesting, you know. Uh, I think, you know, the piece of research you've done that is very, very good and uh, very useful as well, very applicable. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a businessman at heart, not an academic, you know. Yeah. So I, I want it to be useful. I want people to be able to yeah put it into practice mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um looking at the workplace um teams especially how do you how can you actually build a culture of trust within an organization you know mm. how how how, mm. how 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 does how are, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no um yeah there's, there's there's quite a simple answer to that yeah. um the research, uh, what part of the research that I conducted was to uh, look at how important it was for the senior team to role model trust yeah. in terms of building a high trust culture. And the results of the research, I can say that the single most important factor in building a high trust culture is the behavior of the CEO and the senior team. So this mm. role modeling, this leading by example, um, people copy the leader. And if you start walking left instead of right, they'll start walking left. So if the leader starts practicing these nine habits, and if the leadership team start practicing these nine habits, it will ripple out mm. into the rest of a culture over time. And on the one hand, that's a great thing because I think role modeling is within our control. But on the other hand, it's a challenging thing because it's in our control. <laughs> so, you know, when we get it right, it will be multiplied. When we get it wrong, it will be multiplied. We're like huge photocopier machines, you know, as leaders, mm. you know, uh, people are copying us all the time and they're watching us. Um, I interviewed a, a chief executive uh, from one of the banks for, for the research. And he said to me, John, when I walk through reception, if I see a tiny piece of litter in the on the floor, I'll always uh, bend down and pick it up and put it, put it in the bin. He said, because yeah. I know that everybody's watching me. And if I pick up little bits of litter, everybody else will start picking up little bits of litter. So these micro behaviors of, of the senior leader are, are critical. 
and uh, that's why mm-hmm. um you know it's such a a, a responsibility being a leader mm-hmm. because you do impact things whether you like it or not you are yeah. impacting things yeah yeah and i guess the behaviors initially will be a little bit more controlled so you're very think you're you're very conscious about what you're doing yeah and then eventually they become habits right yeah yeah, yeah that, that's exactly right tiago you know i have this quote about you know first we make our habits then our habits make us mm. Mm. so we can consciously focus on a ha- on a habit you know and they say that if you do something 40 times so if that ceo walks into the reception and picks up a piece of litter 40 days in a row he will it will become a habit he won't even have to think about it yes and that's how your character, because some, sometimes people say to me, oh, John, you know, can you really develop trustworthiness in a, in a leader if they're not trustworthy? Um, aren't they born that way? Mm. Um, but as a coach, as someone who's seen the power of, of habits, um, then if you make trust into a habit, then you can build habits mm. and then your habits will start to mold your character mm-hmm. over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a very, hopefully a very empowering message for our listeners that, you know, you can change and it's hard, but if you're sufficiently motivated, mm-hmm. then you can develop <laughs> and, and mold new habits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to lack of trust, do you think that can help when it comes to lack of trust, do you think that can hold an organization back or can hold a person back as well to grow professionally? Yeah, I mean, I think at an organization level, uh, in my book, I've got countless case studies of organizations that got it wrong. Mm. Uh, I mean, maybe the one that comes to mind just, just now as we're talking is, 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 is Facebook. And, you know, Facebook, fantastically capable organization, mm. but is having all sorts of troubles with its trust uh, and its brand because of slipping up around some of the habits mm-hmm. um and you know even to the extent of, of now changing their brand name and and, and you know yes. they're, they're seeing that there's a risk that the brand can, can name can, can can become toxic because of this yeah. so so that's at the sort of organizational level at the individual level um people have long memories when it comes to um breaches of trust i, I remember working with a, a ceo and we were looking at um, mm. a new structure for his team and promoting people. And we were talking about this one individual who, who to, to everybody appeared to be a very capable candidate for yeah. the role. And he said to me, uh, John, 10 years ago, uh, I remember there was an issue here with uh, um, an ex- expense claim that was uh, challenged and, and proved to be fraudulent. Yeah. And that incident from 10 years ago was still in this chief executive's mind you know it, it is something particularly the integrity habits you know people have very long memories mm. when it comes to breach of of integrity so um you know sometimes we don't always realize uh in, in the moment you know the 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 the, the, the sort of legacy mm. of, of some of these uh behaviors or some of these uh moments in, in our careers whether it's whether it's either as a brand or or as an individual mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. um do you want to talk a little bit about um, the future of work uh, and how you think that trust plays a key role in in you know enabling almost the yeah. existence of a new world of hybrid work? Yeah, um, you know when I when I first published the book in two thousand sixteen and I and I was talking presenting about the book and the model, 
there was a sort of a feel at the time that it was a little bit blue sky that this was you know this is the future you know and it's great to think about this future brave new world but everybody was thinking yeah but it's not really here is it um the biggest difference for me between 2016 and and now 2021 is that what now what used to be the future and and the brave new world is is here you know it's it's happening and um i I think that's a quite a big wake-up call for a lot of leaders um i did uh, a post on on LinkedIn a, a couple of days ago, and uh, it was an article by a guy called Colin Ellis uh, in in CEO World, which was titled "Hybrid Work is Really About Trust." Mm. And in that article, it was a quote from the article. He said, "More than anything else, successful hybrid working is about trust. CEOs trust in managers, managers trust in employees, and employees trust in themselves and their team teammates to do the right thing, regardless of." where they are based and, and when they complete the task in order to achieve the outcome. So a little bit, some of the things we've already talked about yeah. that in this new world of work, people are claiming their freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, I as an employee would like to work in this way and in that location. And we as leaders and managers are being asked to take the risk of trust in them. Yeah. Now, obviously, at the end of the day, businesses need to deliver outcomes. Yes. And that's why we have to still have that that very laser-like focus on uh, outcomes. But I think we are experiencing, you know, somebody described it to me the other, the other day about the, the union of remote workers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, yes. that there does seem to be a, um, a spontaneous sort of awakening. I mean, you talked about the yeah. great resignation, but I yes. think there's also this this great awakening, if you like, where, where employees are coming into work and saying, you know what, um, we've experienced something different and we think it's time to, to move on. Um, and I think that's hugely exciting, but it does bring with it for leaders, the need to really think hard about the currency of their leadership because power as a currency of leadership will not work in a, or will work less effectively in a hybrid world. Uh Um, Trust will work very effectively mm-hmm. in that world, but we have to become black belts at trust. And most of us probably haven't in the past, to be blunt, we haven't needed to be black no. belts. Um, but I think that the, the, the winners of tomorrow, the winners in three years' time, uh, will be the ones that said they recognized in 2021 it was time to take it up a level and, and to become the, the black belts of, of trust. Uh-huh. Because I think it is the uh, enabler of the, this this hybrid world of work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you, as a person, as a businessman, how do you apply your own theory yeah. in your life? Yeah, be careful if you write a book about trust. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's an interesting story here. Um we uh, at the Trust Executive Foundation, we have a 360 feedback tool right. for the model. Mm-hmm. And I, and I um, used the tool myself. Um, I was only really testing the tool at the time, but, <laughs> but I happened to get some feedback. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, Tiago, that the two habits that I am working on yeah. sort of right now, I'm working mm-hmm. on the habit of being open and the habit of being kind. Mm. Um. I mean, I said right at the beginning, I come, I come from Yorkshire. Right. Any of your listeners know anything about Yorkshire? 
it's not a, it's not a county that it's a rena- it's a county that's renowned for for a lot of good things, but I don't think it would be renowned for its kindness necessarily right, in its right. culture. Um, so you know, I, I, I say I come from Yorkshire. My wife's an accountant. My father worked in the bank for forty years, so it's not really in the DNA. So I know I have to. I'm not a natural at kindness, but if I work at it, I do believe I can become more natural. I'm never going to be, uh, you know, a maestro. But I can I can get better, um, and so that's that's one that I'm that I'm working on, and and being open is the other one because I come from a background of, you know, um, the, the the alpha male type background of um, showing, never showing weakness, you know, if if you show weakness as a leader, you, it it will be used against you. I, I come from all of that conditioning, so it's quite a shift for me to say, hang on showing a bit of vulnerability in the right place in the right way is a good thing. Yeah, that's quite a shift for me. And so, and I recognize there are certain choices, you know, I I can, because I've obviously worked with this very, very closely now, I I know that that there are certain decisions that pop up where I can feel part of me saying, be more vulnerable. (laughs) And and another part of me is going, no, no, don't, don't, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, uh, it's the end. Um, and and I can feel that I can feel that happen, and so, um, you know, yeah, definitely, I'm I'm you know I'm a, a very much a work in progress in that mm. sense. And when you write a book like this, and you do this research, it does prompt you to be accountable, um, and that's uh, you know that's it's the bar is is set pretty high, and so <laughs> it's it's something that I know um, I have to be honest about when I get it wrong. Yes, because because I am going to get it wrong, um, but I also have to um, over time be able to yeah. say I've I've I've. There's this phrase about eating your own dog food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I have to I have to eat my own dog food, and and I'm 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 getting on with that at the moment. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Before writing the book, did you did you think about this um, about well? Let me just rephrase the question again. Um, Before writing that book. Have you considered these um, these two elements of um, of development? It's a good question. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think I had. Well, I might have considered them, but I probably didn't think they were important. Hmm. And I think the most striking thing for me of doing the research and, and writing the book is that I've realised that, that I've realised that trust is critical. Yes. And I've realised there are nine habits, and I realised that two of them. One is being kind and one is being open. So mm. there's a very clear audit trail there now. And it's very hard for me to say, oh, I'm not very good at kindness. And it doesn't matter because it, because clearly from the research, yeah. it does matter because trust, yeah. trust matters and, 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 the, and kindness is one of the nine habits. So I think it's probably I did notice these things. I was aware of them, but I, I didn't realize how important they were in your overall reputation and, mm. and brand as a leader. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How much progress have you have you made? <laughs> You'd have to ask my colleagues. <laughs> You'd have to ask my teammates, yeah. and colleagues at the Trusted Executive Foundation. I'm sure they'll have some stories uh, to, to tell you. But but I, I would seriously on the point of kindness. Kindness is really interesting because it, it's it doesn't take a lot of time to be kind. You know, and one of the things I, I do now, and it's a silly little thing, but it's again, it's a, it's, a, it's a good example of a habit. If I were come in a room like this, we're sat around a table at the moment and we've got a glass of water here. And let's say there was a jug of water and you had a glass of water. In the past, I would have thought, hmm, 
I'm thirsty. I'll pour myself a yeah. glass of water. Yeah. Now what I do is I think, mm, I'm thirsty. But before I pour my glass, I'll ask Tiago mm. if he would like a glass of water. Right. Mm. And it's a strange thing, but I, I do that now. And, and, you know, sometimes I do it and the other person says to me, that's very kind of you. Mm. And I'm thinking, ah, that's a good that's thing. It. Yeah, there it is. There's that kindness, and yes, you know, very small things, but they can make a difference. And I think I've just become more aware of those um, tiny, noticeable things. Is a phrase that that's used about these uh, acts. You know, um, you don't. They don't have to be big, change the world things. It, no, tiny, noticeable things can have a big impact with that habit of uh, kindness. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just another kind of more personal question as well. Uh, in the last uh, two years, we've all been through a lot, right? Mm. And I just wanted to know from you, like, how did you manage? How did you cope? And what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, I haven't been asked this question uh, before. And it's interesting to, re to reflect on it, because I think we're at the time now where we can look back a little bit, yeah. take stock. And on the surface, um, you know, business went on uh, for me. Um, I I was fortunate from a health point of view. You know that, that I wasn't ill. Um, I'm I, I've I've found that really structuring my day uh, helped, and and I needed to build some variety into that. You know, where I would take breaks, go for a walk, exercise. I had to really work hard to create variety uh, in my working day, and uh, that. That was one thing that I did, I think, well. Um, if I was thinking something that I learned about myself that, that surprised me a little bit was I found that I got a bit obsessive about work because there was not a lot else to focus on. I found that I was, um, I would say, taking my work home. You know, I, I was at home all the time. <laughs> so, so, so work was there and it never really left me. And what I found after after a few months of this was that I found it very difficult to switch off. And I would wake up in the night and there'd be stuff going around my my head. And, uh, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, it's not normally, you don't normally have the most positive, uplifting thoughts at that time of, of night. So I, I found myself almost having slightly paranoid thoughts about, well, what happened if, what, what if this went wrong? And what if that went wrong? And I think that's made me more aware that um, some of my focus on work, which has often been a strength. I have to be a bit careful that that doesn't go too far and become a weakness because if it goes too far, I become so focused that I get a little bit paranoid. I'm worrying about things that don't, e don't even need to sort of exist or, or are very unlikely to, to happen. And um, there's a thin line between being positively focused and uh, obs obsessive in a way that isn't helpful. And, and that's that's something that I... It definitely surprised me that um, uh, in lockdown, it, it definitely exacerbated that tendency for me. Very, very interesting. John, it's been a very interesting conversation. Um, I just wanted to get your final piece of advice, especially for HR, L&D leaders there mm. who are trying to build a culture of trust, who are trying to find ways to make their business work in this holy world. What is your advice for them? Yeah, my advice is quite simple. Don't underestimate the speed at which things are changing. Um, having presented on this topic for the past five years, 
I can tell people that um, when I first started talking about it, um, it was it was blue sky. Um, it was the future. And, and when I talk about it now to leaders, I very much pick up it's, it's here today. It's now. And I do think that now is the time to seize that uh, moment and that the, 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 the winners in the next three to five years are the ones that will be brave to seize this moment to reinvent um, rather than sticking to tried and tested ways that might still work for another 18 months, but in three years' time could look very dated uh, indeed. So I, I'm just, if in doubt, go for it, um, seize the moment, don't underestimate the speed at which um, the world is changing. And uh, John? I just really want to thank you for taking the time for opening up as well, talking about your personal life, your personal challenges and struggles. I think that has been very interesting. Um, and it's just been a pleasure. You know, wish we could, we, I wish we had another couple of hours really just to go through all the nine habits in detail, you know, because I want to learn as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. the studio is booked. <laughs> yeah. can, I, uh, can I plug, can I plug the website? If people, if people are intrigued to sort of, do it Absolutely, that was yeah. going to be my next question. Right. So, where do we, where can people go if they yeah. want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about your work, learn yeah. more about the things that you do? Yeah, well, the book's called "The Trusted Executive: Nine Leadership Habits That Inspire Results, Relationships, and Reputation." So that's available, you know, through all the normal outlets. Um, the website is www.trustedexecutive.com. Um, so that's where people will be able to get a lot more resources mm -hmm. on the nine habits, videos, blogs, uh, exercises. And there is a podcast also uh, available via that uh, website and also available via, you know, Spotify and Spotify. Okay. et cetera. Um, so hopefully there's there's enough out there for people if they if they've been intrigued by our, our conversation, then there's a lot more that they can uh, dig into that's, that's out there. Awesome. Thank you very much, John. It's been a pleasure. My guest today was Dr. John Blakey, author of The Trusted Executive and the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation. Uh, I've been Tiago Kivi, and uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, we have a lot more coming over the next few months. So please subscribe, share with your colleagues, and if you have time, please leave us a review as well. And if you'd like to learn more about Headspring, the learning and development joint venture of the Financial Times and IE Business School, please have a look at our website. It's headspringexecutive.com. Headspringexecutive.com. Headspring